down the driveway, stopping by the portal. The door slammed and they joined Tom in front of the house. That was when a troubled feeling began to gather in the pit of Tom's stomach. What are we waiting for? asked Philip, mounting the portal and striding up to the Zagwan doors, giving the doorbell a firm series of depresses. Vernon and Tom followed. There was nothing but silence. Philip gave the bell a final stab. Hello, Philip called through cupped hands. Still nothing. Do you think he's all right? Tom asked. Of course he's all right, said Philip crossly. This is just another one of his games. As Tom looked about, he saw that the yard had an unkempt look. I'm going to take a look in a window, Tom said. He tiptoed through a flower bed and peered in the living room window. Something was very wrong, but it took him a moment to realize just what. The room seemed normal. Same leather sofas and wing chairs, same stone fireplace, same coffee table. But above the fireplace there had been a big painting, he couldn't remember which one. And now it was gone. Was it the Brock or the Monet? The bookshelves revealed holes where books had been taken out. The room had a disorderly look. Beyond the doorway to the hall, he could see trash lying on the floor, some crumpled paper, a strip of bubble wrap, and a discarded roll of packing tape. What's up, Doc? Philip's voice came floating around the corner. You better have a look. Philip peeked through the window and he gasped. Over the sofa. The lippy's gone, and the brock over the fireplace. He's taken it all away. He's sold it. Vernon spoke. Philip, don't get excited. He probably just packed the stuff up. Maybe he's moving. You've been telling him for years this house was too big and isolated. Philip's face relaxed abruptly. Yes, of course. That must be what this mysterious meeting's all about, Vernon said. Philip nodded. I must be tired from the flight. Vernon, you're right. Of course they've been packing. But what a mess they've made of it. When Father sees this, he's going to have a fit. There was a silence as all three sons stood in the shrubbery looking at each other. Tom's own sense of unease had reached a high pitch. If their father was moving, it was a strange way to go about it. Philip took the pipe out of his mouth. What say? Do you think this is another one of his little challenges to us? Some little puzzle? I'm going to break in, Tom said. The alarm. The hell with the alarm. Tom went around to the back of the house, his brothers following. He climbed over a wall into a small enclosed garden with a fountain. There was a bedroom window at eye level. Tom wrestled a rock out of the raised flower bed wall. He brought it to the window positioned himself, and hefted it to his shoulder. Tom heaved the rock, and it went crashing through the window. As the tinkling of glass subsided, they all waited, listening. Silence. No alarm, said Philip. Tom shook his head. I don't like this. Philip stared through the broken window, and Tom could see a sudden thought blooming on his face. Philip cursed and in a flash vaulted through the broken window frame. Tom climbed through the window. Vernon followed. The bedroom was like the rest of the house, stripped of all art. It was a mess. 
Dirty footprints on the carpet, trash, strips of packing tape, bubble wrap and packing popcorn along with nails and the sawed butt ends of lumber. Tom went to the hall. The view disclosed more bare walls where he remembered a Picasso, another Brock, and a pair of Mayan Steli. Gone. All gone. He ventured down the hall, stopping at the archway to the living room. Philip was there, standing in the middle of the room, looking about. I told him again and again this would happen. He was so bloody careless, keeping all this stuff here. What? Vernon cried, alarmed. What is it, Philip? What's happened? We've been robbed. Detective Lieutenant Hutch Barnaby of the Santa Fe Police Department placed a hand on his bony chest and kicked back in his chair. He raised a fresh cup of Starbucks to his lips, the tenth one of the day. The aroma of the bitter roast filled his hooked nose as he looked out the window. A beautiful spring day in Santa Fe, New Mexico, he thought, as he folded his long limbs deeper into the chair. He sipped the coffee with a huge feeling of contentment, except for the faint ringing of a phone in the outer office. Life was good. He heard the competent voice of Doreen answering the phone. Hold on, excuse me, could you speak a little slower? I'll get you the sergeant. Barnaby drowned out the conversation with a noisy sip of coffee and extended his foot to his office door, giving it a little nudge shut. Blessed silence returned. He waited, and then it came. The knock. Damn that phone call. Barnaby placed his coffee on the desk and rose slightly from his slouched position. Yes. Sergeant Harry Fenton opened the door, a keen look on his face. Hutch? Mm-hmm. Fenton went on. The Broadbent place was robbed. I got one of the sons on the phone now. Hutch Barnaby didn't move a muscle. Robbed of what? Everything. As Barnaby and Fenton drove out the old Santa Fe Trail, Fenton talked about the robbery. The collection, he'd heard, was worth a half a billion. Barnaby said nothing. He stopped at the end of the winding driveway that led up to the Broadbent Airy. Fenton climbed out of the other side, his face shining with anticipation. As they walked up the road, Hutch scanned the ground. He could see the blurred tracks of a semi coming and going. They had come in bold as brass. So either Broadbent was away or they had killed him. More likely the latter. The road went around a corner and leveled out, and a pair of open gates came into view, guarding a sprawling adobe mansion. He paused to examine the gate. It was a mechanical gate with two motors. It didn't show any signs of having been forced, but the electrical box was open, and inside he could see a key. He knelt and examined it. The key was in a lock, which had been turned to deactivate the gate. He turned to Fenton. What do you make of that? Drove a semi up here, had a key to the gate. These guys were professional. We're probably going to find Broadbent's cadaver in the house, you know. That's why I like you, Fenton. You're my second brain. He heard a shout and glanced up to see three men crossing the lawn coming toward him. The kids. Barnaby rose in a fury. Jesus Christ, don't you know this is a crime scene? 
The others halted, but the lead character, a tall man in a suit, kept coming. And who might you be? I'm Detective Lieutenant Hutchinson Barnaby and Sergeant Harry Fenton, Santa Fe Police Department. Fenton flashed them a quick smile that did little more than bare his teeth. You the sons? We are, said the suit. Barnaby took a moment to look them over as potential suspects. The hippie and hemp had an honest open face. Maybe not the brightest bulb in the store, but no robber. The one in cowboy boots had real horse shit on the boots, Barnaby noted with respect. And then there was the guy in the suit, who looked like he was from New York. As far as Hutch Barnaby was concerned, anyone from New York was a potential murderer. Even the grandmothers. This is a crime scene, so I'm going to have to ask you gentlemen to leave the premises. Go out through the gate and go stand under a tree or something and wait for me. I'll be out in about 20 minutes to talk to you, okay? Please don't wander around, don't touch anything, and don't talk to each other about the crime or what you've observed. He turned and then as an afterthought turned back. The whole collection is missing? That's what I said on the phone, said the suit. How much, ballpark, was it worth? About five hundred million. As Barnaby walked toward the house, he considered that he had better be careful. There was going to be a lot of second-guessing on this one. The feds, Interpol, God knows who else would be involved. He gazed at the house. He wondered if the collection had been insured. If so, maybe Maxwell Broadbent wasn't quite so dead after all. Maybe Maxwell Broadbent was sipping margaritas with some piece of ass on a beach in Phuket. I wonder if Broadbent was insured, asked Fenton. Hutch grinned at his partner, then looked back at the place. He looked at the broken window, the confusion of footsteps on the gravel, the trampled shrubbery. The fresh tracks were the sun's, but there were a lot of older traces here as well. He could see where the moving van had parked where it had laboriously backed around. It looked as if a week or two had passed since the robbery. The important thing was to find the body, if there was one. He stepped inside the house. He looked around at the packing tape, bubble wrap, nails, discarded pieces of wood. There was sawdust on the rug and faint depressions. They had actually set up a table saw. It had been an exceptionally competent piece of work, noisy, too. These people not only knew what they were doing, but they had taken the time to do it right. Inside, the robbery felt just as old as it did outside. A week, maybe even two. He bent down and sniffed the end of a cut piece of lumber lying on the floor. It lacked that just-cut, fresh wood smell. Clots of mud tracked in by a lugged boot were also thoroughly dry. Barnaby thought back. Last rainfall was two weeks ago today. That's when it had happened. Within 24 hours of the rain, when the ground was still muddy. He wandered down the huge vaulted central hall. There were pedestals with bronze labels where statues had once stood. There were faint rectangles with hooks on the plastered walls where paintings had once been. There were dark slots on the bookshelves where books had been removed. He reached the bedroom door and looked at the parade of dirty footprints coming and going. More dried mud. Christ, there must have been half a dozen of them. 
This was a big moving job, and it must have taken a day at least, maybe two. A machine sat inside the bedroom. Barnaby recognized it as a foam-in-place machine, of the kind you see at UPS. In another room, he found a shrink-wrapping machine for doing the really big stuff. He found stacks of lumber, rolls of felt, metal strapping tape, bolts and wing nuts, and a couple of skill saws, a couple of thousand dollars worth of abandoned equipment. They hadn't bothered taking anything else. In the living room, they'd left a $10,000 television along with a VCR DVD and two computers. He carefully stepped over a videotape cassette lying on the floor. Fenton said, Lay you three to five, the guy's dead. Two to five, it's an insurance scam. You take all the fun out of life, Fenton. Someone must have seen the activity up here. The house, sitting on its mountaintop, was visible to all of Santa Fe. If he himself had bothered to look out the window of his double wide in the valley two weeks ago, he might have seen the robbery. The house ablaze all night long, the truck headlights winding down the hill. He moved swiftly and methodically through the rooms, looking but taking no notes. Every room had been hit. The job had gone to completion. In one room, a bunch of boxes had been unpacked and paper lay scattered on the floor. He picked up a piece. Some kind of bill of lading dated a month ago for $24,000 worth of French pots and pans, German and Japanese knives. Was the guy starting a restaurant? In the bedroom in the back of a walk-in closet, he found a huge steel door partway open. Fort Knox, said Fenton. Barnaby nodded. With a house full of million-dollar paintings, it kind of made him wonder what was so valuable that it had to go into a vault. He slipped inside. The vault was empty save some scattered trash on the floor and a bunch of wooden map cases. Slipping out his handkerchief, he used it to open a drawer. The velvet bore indentations where objects had once nested. He slid it shut and turned to the door itself, giving the lock a quick examination. There were no signs of forced entry. None of the locked cases he'd seen in the rooms had been forced either. The perps had all the codes and keys, said Fenton. Barnaby nodded. This was no robbery. He went outside and made a quick circle of the gardens. They looked neglected. The grass hadn't been cut in a couple of weeks. The whole place had a seedy air about it. The neglect, it seemed to him, stretched back even more than the two weeks since the so-called robbery. It looked like the place had been going downhill for a month or two.